All right, answer this honestly now. If it was you who discovered the COVID vaccine, would you try to profit from it? Morally, could you bring yourself to make money from it? And we're talking billions of dollars. It is crazy how much money companies have made off the vaccine alone, pure profit. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think I like it. But I'm also very jaded about big companies, and I just kind of assume that they're all about the profit above everything else. Um, And maybe it is because I'm a woman. I mean, what do we do? We tend to just give things away, help people, because it's our motherly instinct. So let's ask Jill Schlesinger. She's the CBS News business analyst, host of the Jill on Money show. She was on Spazano and Sandy, the radio morning show that I co-host. And I thought I'd share the conversation with you here today because it was really interesting. It makes you think. Plus, in our No Dumb Questions segment, I know you may have already started or at least you're itching to renovate the house. So what is the difference between a home equity line of credit and a home equity loan? Want to make sure that you're caught up with that. We'll explain. And in the last 10 minutes of the show, we're going to take a seat at the kids' table. When one of your kids comes to you and asks for money, the right way to help bail them out, yet still keeping it fair so the other kids in the family don't become resentful. Susan Beecham pulls from her decades of working with families the valuable lesson every parent needs to know. Thank you for making time to be here. I want to take the awkwardness out of the money conversation and to help you get at least a good understanding of what your options are. Now, if you think of someone who could benefit from what we talk about here, share the podcast link with them. We're in this together. We're supporting each other here. All right, before we talk about corporate greed during the pandemic, let's start the show with no dumb questions. I like to think of this as your money dictionary because there are a lot of financial terms out there that you probably have heard of, you're kind of familiar with them. We just want to make sure that you have a good understanding of what they mean so you can make the best decision. Our CFP, Erica Cummings from the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, joins this part of the show. Hi, Erica. Hello, Sandy. How are you? Good. Okay, so today, and I feel like this is something a lot of people get confused about, the difference between home equity line of credit and a home equity loan. Yes. So both of them are similar in that they are essentially tapping into your home's equity. So it's the equity in your home is basically what the market value is, which would be assessed by whatever bank or credit union you use to actually do this loan or line of credit through. They would determine a market value for your home minus whatever you might owe typically on your primary mortgage. And then they look to see how much equity you have in there. Everybody has different rules. So some banks may say that you could borrow up to 85% of what they call loan to value, which means that the value of the house minus what you owe, if it's less than 85% that you owe, then there'll be some equity there for you to tap into. And like I said, each bank and each credit union has different requirements there. But today we're talking about the difference between a loan and a line of credit. The biggest difference between the two is the terms. So how it's structured in terms of how long you have that that loan or line of credit for, how the interest rate is assessed. So they're different because one is a fixed loan and one is a variable. So home equity loans typically have a fixed interest rate, meaning the payment is the same each month. And that makes them kind of easier to factor into your budget a little bit. 
Um, but remember that home equity loan payment will be an additional to your usual mortgage. And essentially, there'll be a lump sum that you're able to take out based on, again, that loan to value ratio. But tapping all the equity in your home in one fell swoop can kind of work against you if property values do go down. So if you decide to take a loan out and you're kind of tapped at that maximum amount, you may end up in a situation where you're actually kind of pushing the limit if if home values happen to go down. But it is a nice way to know that you are definitely going to pay this amount and you don't have to worry that it's going to change because a home equity line of credit is similar in that you're borrowing against the home equity in your home, but home equity line is similar to like a credit card. So you have a certain amount of money available to borrow and pay back and you can take what you want as needed. So let's say for example, you have the difference between a $50,000 home equity loan versus a $50,000 line of credit is you don't get all $50,000 in a lump sum like you would the loan. That just means that you can draw as much as 50,000. So if you draw nothing, then you don't pay any interest and you don't have any payments. But as you take money out, now you'll have to start paying it back. Home equity lines of credit often begin with a lower interest rate than a loan but the rate is adjustable or it's variable basically. So it changes when we see the Federal Reserve make changes to the Fed funds rate. So it could rise or fall according to the movements in that benchmark. So that means your payment is not fixed. The pros to this is you pay the interest um, only on the amount that you owe, so you don't have this big fixed payment. It offers obviously more flexibility than a traditional home equity loan, so you pay basically whatever you borrow. However, you do have that potential for rising interest rates that can go above what that home equity loans rate would have been. And also without discipline, you might overspend tapping into that equity again, like we mentioned about the loan. Uh, Also, you may get into this habit of just paying the interest. And so the principal never goes down. So it's really important that you look at why are you taking this out? Before deciding whether to apply for either one of them, just consider how much money you really need, how you plan to use it, factor in the interest rates, the fees, the monthly payments, and any tax advantages as you weigh your options. And just be real diligent about your homework and make sure that you're using this for for what it's there for, not to, you know, go do things that are, you know, a vacation or something that maybe isn't something that you want to borrow against your home for. All right. How can we reach out to you, Erica? So uh, you can reach us at the HarmonyFinancialWellness.com website. We also are on Facebook, Harmony Financial Wellness Group uh, on Facebook. You can always reach out to me at Erica.Cummings at RBC.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Erica. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. There are a lot of companies who have profited from the pandemic, but this one company in particular has made ginormous profits from the vaccine alone. How should we feel about that? Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, host of Jill on Money, was on Spazano and Sandy, the radio morning show I co-host. That conversation is up next. Good morning. I'm so interested in what you're going to say about this, what your take is. Because when I heard and saw the ginormous profits that this one company made from the pandemic, from the COVID vaccine, I was like, are you for real? Pfizer brought in 3.5 
billion dollars in revenue the first three months of this year, mm-hmm. projected to haul nineteen billion dollars in COVID nineteen vaccine revenue in twenty twenty one. I'm like, holy hell! You got a problem with that? Well, I don't know. Should I, Jill? <laughs> I don't know. It's really tough because they obviously. Uh, you know, they had made a very big decision, right, mm, yeah. to basically say, you know what, um, they they wanted to go ahead and get this, this thing moving forward. They wanted to make a big investment. They did it. Now, the thing is that um, other manufacturers have vowed to forego the profits on their shots mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But Pfizer, from the very beginning, said um, – no, I don't think so, because <laughs> what we want to do is we basically said we're not going to take – they said they're not going to take government money. We're going to fund this on our own. Mm-hmm. If it fails, we'll eat the loss, sure. whereas Moderna took almost about uh, – called about uh, $480 million from the government, and uh-huh. they said they'll, they, won't, they won't actually make a profit from it. So here's the question. How do you feel about this profit? I mean, essentially, they are – they are saying that at least, you know, Pfizer saying we're not going to take government money, but if we do make money, we keep it. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't have a terribly big problem with this. I know it feels you awful, don't. but like I don't. It feels weird. I would be here's what I would like if they really were like what they should do is say we made a bunch of money on this. But what we're going to do is we're going to um, take some of the proceeds or a big chunk of the proceeds fund the Pfizer Foundation to do community health, da 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 da. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. This, like I, I would. Wouldn't you feel better, Sandy, if you, uh, if they made, if they made all this money, but also be able to make a, 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 some sort of charitable part of it? What would yeah. you feel better about that? I, I would. Uh, I wouldn't take it at face value. I would think the CEO is trying to make himself look good. She doesn't trust. I, yeah, I am yeah. so distrusting of CEO. I don't know why. I have a thing. I'm just. I don't know. But okay, so. Explain this to me, and how do you feel about this? Because I think it bothers me so much because Big Pharma just bothers me. (laughs) Because I think we are just so quick to pop pills and prescribe pills because there's profit attached. There's money attached, and they have so much stinking money. And insurance rates go up, price of prescriptions and whatnot goes up. So that right there is just, I don't know. It's hard to just be like, yeah, "Yeah, go Big Pharma. Mm. I mean, okay, so here's the deal. I think that um, I I don't trust them either. I mean, I don't trust any big, huge part. But I'm going to give you the other side of it just so I can sound like I'm unbiased. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. Notice how I just so I can sound like. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I think that most of these organizations, not unlike big banks, Mm -hmm. that they are um, they put profits before everything else. They have somehow justified that. You know, the only thing we are here to do is to serve our shareholders, which I have a problem with because Mm -hmm. I think that there should be other constituents as well. Like, for example, your employees, for example, your community, you know, all these things Mm -hmm. I think should be important. Mm -hmm. So I think that big pharma, like big banks, uh, like big tobacco, they always put profitability as the number one part of their um, their, their number one goal. Right. And I think that that's what's distasteful. Now, I mean, look, from the pharmaceutical side of it, they say, look, we're making all these investments. We're taking the risk. We should reap the re- reward. And if we're not going to take this government money, we should reap the reward. And 
that's their case. They that had was to make decision. Yeah, well, they, they. I mean, Pfizer had to design, create, research, develop, produce millions of vials of this stuff. Well, so a, did Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca, and they're not making a profit as a dice roll. So you're taking billion, uh, billions and billions of dollars of all of this on. You're just putting it on a house of cards, and it might fall down, and the, the, it may not work. And then you've just lost all that money, uh, right? And right. and um, I think that the the other thing is that um, all of these companies, uh, oh, I mean, AstraZeneca, J and J, and Moderna got federal funds mm-hmm. for the vaccine oh, yeah. development. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so that so that kind of puts them on a little bit of a different um, piece, right? Okay, but I mean. I, I always feel really weird about these conversations because the, the capitalist in me wants to say, you know what? They did take the risk. That's their role. Um, if we hold them accountable, if we didn't want them to do this, if we didn't want them to make this, we should have you know, put some contingencies on it. Right. Um, it's the same thing with Wall Street when we bailed out banks and people were going completely ballistic about, like, why do we bail out the banks? Well, because mm. we didn't want a 20-year depression. <laughs> but, what, so. should, but should we have put more restrictions on that? Yeah. And should we maybe have done something different with this? Should we have um, said, you, you know what, like the banking crisis, you have to take the government money or you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I right. don't know. We, it was an emergency. So everything was done sort of in the yeah. heat of the moment. So um, but I think you're right to have um, some some distrust in what these folks say. I mean, when they say they're going to give money to a cause or do something else, I mean, it, it, it is funny that in their their um, uh, earnings statement, Pfizer's like, oh, listen, this good thing is that we're going to we are contributing 40 million doses to COVAX. That's the the partnership to supply vaccines to poor countries. So oh, okay. 40 million sounds like a lot, mm-hmm. but it's less than two percent of the two and a half billion doses that um, Pfizer has produced is producing. So it's right. kind of like a low level of like, oh, we made a ton of money and we're going to, you know, basically send um, a few little dribbles over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, look, um, the other thing to know, which is really kind of funny and weird about just how much money these companies make, last year uh, Pfizer earned $9.6 billion in profit. Mm. Okay? That's so crazy. And uh, <laughs> that's crazy. And so um, the weird part is that um, they say, like, hey, we didn't take federal funds and all this stuff, but – you know, I don't think they ever could have imagined that things were going to be this unbelievable. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I am conflicted. I don't love the idea of profiting from mm-hmm. a disaster. That's I, what I really. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see their the the half full glass that I see when it comes to your that $9 wife works dollars. for Big Pharma. That's why you're defending. Them. Yeah, but she doesn't sell <laughs> pills and things you can get addicted to. But yeah, I'm all for it. But no, I'm just talking about Pfizer. Like if when if and when another pandemic hits, there's nine billion dollars that they can take and put to make something happen quicker and. And all of this money is—they're not—they're not putting it in their pockets. It's they're putting it back in, I would assume, and and keeping high on that edge of modern high technology. You know what? You're that, right. I did hear the CEO better. is pretty broke. I did hear that they're not putting it back in their pockets. You're right, Scott. <laughs> oh no! It's, it's, no, I'm not saying <laughs> they don't have big parties. The the oh, companies, no, I, the employees—they don't. I, no, you know what? I, mean, I say let them go for it. <laughs> you can make a billion dollars. That's right. Um, it has 
gotten better in pharma because um, I put an ex-husband through medical school and oh. the things that pharma used to do. <laughs> oh, my God. They would I mean, like he'd come home from the hospital like when he was doing rotations. This is like a third or fourth year medical student. Uh-huh. He's like. I'm like, I, he's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so full. I'm like, what do you mean you're full? He goes, oh, well, the pharmaceutical companies came and they gave us lunch and they gave us this and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then they would do things like, this is great. They used to um, say to the young residents who would be like the ones, people who would prescribe and kind of get them into their ecosystem. They'd mm-hmm. be like, oh, you guys have spring break. Well, we'll get you a house in Aspen. Yeah, yeah, it used they to be really bad. They did that kind of stuff. Yeah. They used to do like these big parties, these boondoggles. These guys in pharma make the Wall Street banks look like clean and squeaky and, <laughs> yeah. and moral. Now, I mean, I mean now and that, that's changed. It has changed. That's changed. Yeah, there's, there's so much compliance Is there now. more change that needs to happen, Jill, or do you feel oh, like yeah. we're at a good spot? Okay. No, I mean, like, I, I think that, that we have just a very strange system mm-hmm. in the United States. So, I mean, I, I don't like that the idea that Pfizer makes boatloads of money and then just does just a tiny little bit to help the world's poorest yeah. countries. That's yeah. just bad form. Yeah. Um, are you guys following the whole Sackler trial and the the, the thing around um, the, opioid? You know, the opioid crisis? A little bit. Because, I mean, one of the things that I just like a really good um, understanding of that is that I understand, like, this is like the worst possible extreme of this, right, Sandy? Yeah. Like, you're like, ew, this now bears out everything I thought, like, they knew yeah. they were getting people addicted, and and yeah. they kept doing it, right? Well, it, they've they've actually they're trying to settle with uh, the government by saying we'll just give you four billion dollars. <laughs> now, how much money must they have made if they are actually set, trying to settle for, for four, four billion, billion wow. dollars? That's what I would like lives. to point out to you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates' wife's going to get more than that. Oh, what do we think about that? I was so uh, upset. I don't know why I was so upset about that. I, I was too. I thought they were nice. I was devastated. Yeah. I don't know what's why are we like that? We're like, oh, they're but they're so nice. Like yeah. it seems like they're so, I don't know. I mean, he's not that nice, but um There was no the prenup. There was no prenup. Oh my gosh, let's talk about that next time that you're on. Next week, right. things that we need to know. Let's talk about the Bill Gates thing, but then to the common people, things you need to know when you're getting a divorce. Okay. Right? Oh, okay. I love that. Okay. I've only, I, 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 and I'm an expert on that. Yes. I think Scott and I might need that one, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Jill Schlesinger, thank you so much for hanging out this morning. Appreciate it. Go to jillonmoney.com. You can go check out her blog and all of her stuff and CBS Radio, and she she's, wears all these hats. It's it's amazing. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, bye. Thank you, ma'am. When one of your kids needs a loan, the right way to bail them out without ticking off the other kids in the family, grab a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table next. All right, welcome to the kids' table. Susan Beecham is here, founder of Money Savvy Generation. Hi, Susan. Hey, Sandy. <laughs> okay, so this one is mainly for the parents who have more than one kid. And this is something that I think either you have um, a clear way of looking at this and there's no issue at all, or you're a parent like me who really struggles with this on a daily basis. (laughs) Playing fair. Do you have to play fair with all the kids? Let's ask the kids first and then we'll get your take on it. Who's who's the favorite kid in your family? My dog. Who's the favorite kid in your family? Well, you're an only kid. You're the lucky one. That's me. Thank you. 
I think the favorite should be the firstborn, but I know that's not true, so there are no favorites, I guess. So, do you think parents should play fair when it comes to paying for things? Do you think it should always be fair? I think it needs to be fair, whether it's money or gifts, because then if it's not fair, then it's just a competition, and they're keeping score, and then the siblings aren't as close. If you were a dad at eight years old, pretend you're a daddy, and you have three kids, do you have to spend the same amount of money on each one? Yes, because then it's fair. The littler ones don't cry about, about the money. Okay, if you decide that you want more than one kid, good luck, because you probably will have to make things fair. Otherwise, things will be a competition. But I think for the bigger things, like a car, I think you have to earn it. So if one kid is really good and they earn a car, let's say, but then the younger sibling like thinks that they're just going to get one, so they kind of don't act as they should, and they just expect to get a car because their older sibling did, I think that's wrong. I think there's different levels based on how much something costs of fairness. All right, Susan, how much do we need to play fair? So fact of life, uneven spending is inevitable. I'm going to take every parent whose heart is all tied up over this. I've got to give everybody equal everything. Yeah. I'm going to give them all a pass. It's unrealistic. You know why? Financial circumstances change over time. You may have your first child when your money is tight and you've done different things. Maybe you didn't take vacations. Maybe you had a smaller home. Then second and third child come along and your money is better because your career is more advanced. So now you're on vacations and now you have a second car, right? That's uneven spending. I got to tell you, Susan, I'm going to confess, my parents play it so fair, even to this day, they will play it fair with my sisters and me and the grandkids, like to every penny. If my dad takes my daughter, my younger daughter out to, I don't know, Walgreens or something, because it's up the street and spends $5, he will give all the other grandkids $5 to keep it fair. So now that's the world I grew up in. And I feel like if you spent, I I kind of feel like kids are keeping score, whether we think they are or not. Okay. I think, I think the place kids keep score is like the trip your dad takes one grandchild to, to Walgreens. If they see him take them and spend five bucks and he evens everybody else out with five bucks, the kids who haven't seen it, he set an expectation now that that's the way grandpa handles any kind of treat he gives grandchildren. Yeah. You can, you can do that as a parent by making sure birthdays and holiday gift giving are even. So my own kids, they count the number of boxes under the tree. Yeah. See kids are, yeah, they, they, they pay attention. But then I, then I shake my head because what's in one box, which could be very small, could be a piece of jewelry and another box and underwear, which is what (laughs) I buy. So, but do I, as a parent, pay attention and make sure that nobody's pile is bigger than the other? Yes. But have I helped or paid towards one child more at a point where 
they needed it versus the other child? Absolutely. Do I keep a tally in my head, making sure, not to the penny like your dad, but making sure I am treating them fairly? Yes. If something were to happen in the family where one child had enormous success and didn't need any financial help and another child did. Okay. Yeah. The key there is don't let a short term financial lead need become a long-term financial dependency. Because what you do when you handle a child who is having financial hardships and you're always there giving them money, you're creating a dependency. Okay. But what if it's just that one time though? So you have the one kid who is super successful and I'm so glad you brought up this um, example because I was thinking it. You have one kid that's super successful, never asked for money, always buttoned up, learned all the lessons you taught. You have the other kid who ignored all the lessons you taught and comes to you and says, Ma, I need help. So do you give them the money? And then you have to equally give that same amount of money to the other sibling? Or how do you in that moment handle that situation? You help them in the moment and then you equalize in the inheritance. Okay. So you, you keep, now you're not gonna find this in any book. This is as a result of talking to parents and grandparents over 21 years helping out a child with a short-term problem that became a long-term dependency and almost wiped out the parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you can keep your tally and even it out in the inheritance, so you literally make sure that the child who's received more receives less in an inheritance. And you make it known. I'm going to give you this money now, but uh, I, okay. I, you know, I've written this down and what it does is it's a signal to that child that you have their back in the moment, but don't come back to me as a bank. So let's talk about how you got here and what you need to do. Okay. Doing this with a 30 or 40 year old child, it's not easy. It's messy. It's gritty. It's yeah. difficult. Yeah. But what's messier and grittier is if they bankrupt you. What's messier and grittier is if you don't talk about it, you die and your child finds out that you've been supporting one. Yeah. Oh, God. And I'm sure so many people have lived through that or, or know someone who has. You, you do not want to create the animosity well, over money, too. Right. That's terrible. Right. That's why right. it's so important to... I think to keep it as fair as you get, like even college, the college budget, wouldn't you say, or the wedding Correct. budget? Correct. And then anything, if they want to go over and above that, go look for a scholarship, go look for an athletic scholarship, go figure out what your job is going to be, but okay, uh, so that you can make up the difference. If they're accountable for it, they may change their mind. But yeah. if you it, the bottom line is we cannot make our kids' dreams come true and fix all their problems with money. If yeah. only that were the case. It doesn't work that way. They have to solve their own problems. They have to create their own financial stability. Susan, thank you so much as always. Where, uh, where can we find you and follow you? Take a look at my blog, susanbeecham.com, where I talk about all kinds of topics like this. 
or you can take a look at our website where we have tools and books that can help you not only start this conversation about money, but also begin to educate your children. And that's at moneysavvy, S-A-B-B-Y, all one word, dot com. All right, there you go. Another show. Thank you so much for taking time to be here with me. If there's a question you want us to answer in No Dumb Questions, just let me know. If there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, reach out. Or if you need help talking to the kids about money, please get a hold of us. This podcast is for you. All right, we raise a glass now and we say cheers to being financially confident women. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next Friday.